Blog Talk Radio. Hey kids, I almost said that it was Wednesday. Welcome to my world, right? Maybe it was too much drinking or too much cooking or a little bit of both. We all lived and we all survived. Hi, I am so excited I cannot even stand it. There's like 18 people on my show today. No, I'm kidding. There's only three. But there are three very magnanimous people and we have a short amount of time and a lot of ground to cover. So we're going to start off with the lovely, the talented, the fiddle-playing slash kick-ass girl that she is, Alana Katz. Katz is going to be first. Then we're going to go ahead and we're going to be speaking to the actual accessible individuals first from Real Life Bradenton. We've got Jonat Ishan. And then, of course, we'll follow up and round it off with Paul Benjamin. So, without further ado, let's get on the line and start talking to Alana first. Hi. Hello there. Hi. <sighs> I had to do my 30-second spiel and take a little breath, and I'm a little nervous, so forgive me. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm very nervous because I'm interviewing you. I've been listening to your music. I've been looking at your face. You're very overpowering in the best way. You're so cute. You're just so cute. Oh, thank cute. you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you're quite welcome. You're, like, you're like little and cute and dainty. And I, I'm watching you play in all these various different places, and I'm thinking to myself, I get to have her all to myself for a whole hour. So thank you. I'm very blessed. I'm very honored. Um, I have a lot to ask you. So okay. I want to well, talk I'm so excited about... to be here. So, okay. Oh, Yay. thank you. It's like we're in the same room, but not in the same room, and eventually we will be in the same room, but you're going to learn about that. Yes. We're going to talk first about um, you. I always like to do, when I do my interviews, I kind of do everything well-rounded. I like everybody to know that there's a personal side to you as well as a professional side to you. So the first thing I want to do is, can you tell everybody, I know the the story behind your name, but it's kind of funny because when I introduce people, I'm like, oh, this is Alana Katz Katz. And then when I ask Kim about the interview, she's like, yes, it's Katz Katz. I'm like, what do you mean Katz Katz? So tell everybody why you have the exact same name twice. Okay, so my maiden name was Ilana Katz Levinson. Katz was my mother's maiden name. And it was my middle name. And then I married a cat, so I dropped Levinson, and I love cats. And, ah, um, yes, yeah, so to add a little irony to it yet again, um, I'm now working um, with my dear friend, uh, musician and producer, Barry Levinson. So I've got Levinson back in my life. But Ilana Katz Katz is my legal name, and my mother always used her middle name. Like, she always was the, all three names. So, Oh, my gosh, how good. cool is that? That's that is absolutely awesome, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Now, if I want to correct, I want to correctly quote this. You have two cats right now. Is that correct? Boris, you I know what? Boris we lost one. one. We lost <gasps> one last oh, year, no. so we're down to we're down to one. And we tried to bring another in, and he said, "Make that go away right now." So we're just down to one oh, um, no. rescue cat. He's 16. His name is Boris, and he's on the back of both of my records. He's right. lovely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm so, sorry about that. Yeah, I did not know a, that. And, you know, I, I thought I had read something about that. Um, someone had done an article with you, and I think you had said that there were two at one time. Um, and so I thought, usually, okay. yeah. Okay. But we do want to double-check. Warren is the only husband, yes? We just want to make sure there's the one husband. That right I know that. of, yes. Warren <laughs> is my one and only almost 24 years, so yes. Oh, that is wonderful. So now I yeah. always like to ask this question of musicians, because you are a married musician, Tell me how he has an effect on, or does he have an effect on you? Obviously, he does in a personal realm, but on a, from the professional side of things, I have some musicians that play together or some that are married, and they say, oh, my God, they have such a profound effect, and, and just because we're married or whatever, does he play a part in your overall being a better musician? Obviously, we assume a better woman automatically. Um, I would say he doesn't have anything directly to do with my um, music, but he does 
um he you know he is a he he loves music and he's happy that I'm happy doing music and um Aww. so but he doesn't he doesn't play music with me he comes to some of my shows but uh sure. other than that you know that's that's kind of that and it works well gotcha now he is not the uh, uh creative type as well meaning that he's not a musician or is he in the creative realm at all whatsoever or no oh i would say he's quite creative but in a different realm he um he Aww. he did play the drums for many years but he is an engineer and engineers are very very creative and um he <laughs> Uh, is very creative and in many ways, um, and so uh, you know, design-wise, with all kinds of things, he's a he's a really interesting guy. But oh, yes. how lovely! That's so sweet. We like that. We definitely yeah. Like that. Okay, now as I understand it, and she's this just kills me when I saw the statistic. I thought to myself, I have to ask her about this. One of the things that I know about you is that you are a very, very avid runner. Um, and I used to do two miles a day myself, as a matter of fact. But you've actually done the big leagues now, right? Was it triathlon or marathons that you've done before? No, I've done. Um, I I um I run three marathons. I think I have one more in me. Where marathons are really, really hard. They don't get easier. Um, oh, I bet. But I do like I run. Um, uh, probably five days a week when I can. Right now I'm running just like, you know, like I ran four miles today. That's like a sure. not not a big run. But, yes, I love running, and I call it um, nature's Prozac. You know, it keeps, oh keeps me happy. <laughs> that is really, really cool. I like that very much, actually. And, and the thing that I found interesting was – I, and I know this might sound like a dumb question to you because I have no musical ability whatsoever. I can write, I can do all sorts of other things, but I cannot play anything whatsoever. So here's my question. Whenever I'm watching you, nine times out of ten, you're usually standing while you're performing. So the one thing, and maybe it's a dummy question, but it doesn't seem like that. If you enjoy running so much, where in the heck are you even having any kind of form of energy to do this? Because I'm thinking if she plays for two, two and a half hours, she does this regularly all week, where's all that energy coming from? So you must have like a great diet or something. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, my husband calls me like a like a jackrabbit. Like I, I, I am always – you know how some people, you know, if you've got stairs in your house, they're like, oh, I left it you know, upstairs. I don't want to go up there. I'm like, Oh, it's upstairs. I'll go get it. I, I just, I have a lot of, a lot of energy. So I love to run. I love to, you know, move. I am a doer. I am definitely a doer, not a sitter. I gotcha. Okay, fine. So that this means that you're active quite a bit. And obviously, folks, if you've never taken a look at her, she's just got this cute little hourglass figure. It, it works so well for you. I don't know if you look oh, at yourself. Oh, thank you. I don't mean to be facetious, but no. No, it's You know great. how we don't look at ourselves? And then you look yeah. at somebody else, and then you're just like, oh, look at her. Because it, it's not just in how you present yourself. It's the package, meaning that the way you dress, how you hold your instrument, and then the way that you stance, the actual stance that you have in here out there. I observe these things when I interview people, and I noticed that, and I thought to myself, she's just so daintily put together. So no wonder oh, you're in good shape. You're running your ass off all the time. Note I'm yourself, moving around a lot. I can yeah. get less fat. Exactly. So now <laughs> I know how to get less fat. Just start running around all the time. There um, you go. So wonderful. And I know very recently, because now it's the end of November, so about a little mo- little over a month ago or so, so how do we celebrate our birthday? Because we're another year older, and I'm not going to say how old. We'll just say you're another year older, unless you want to yep. reveal that. I'm oh, I am so it's proud to say I am 50. <laughs> when people say, oh, really? 50 is a new 40, 50 is a new 30, I'm like, 50 is 50, and it was it, for me it's better than 40, is better, and I'm happy to be 50. So really? Just 50 is 50, yes. 
Okay. Now I have a very interesting question because in three years I'm going to turn 50 and I am like okay. you. I'm thinking I'm going to jump off a bridge because my life is over. So I like this attitude. So tell me, what gives you this extra incentive to think, yes, 50 is going to be great and this is awesome instead of, well, some of us that are dreading this. I, I guess what's different for you now at this stage of life than before? Because I think that's kind of instrumental to talk about. Wow. Well, um, I think I know you've read some of my interviews, so I, I, I I'm not going to yeah. tell my whole life story. I'll just say, you know, without getting into a lot of detail, that um, a lot of my earlier years I had a lot of depression. I had um, a lot of difficulties from where I grew up, uh, a lot of screaming. And um, it took me a long time to get over that. And I was 40 yeah, – I started playing in the subway um, almost mm-hmm. eight years ago. And um, I am now, you know, playing music uh, – and writing and all my dreams are coming true and sometimes people are late bloomers i mean i think julia child started her first tv show when she was like 56 or something so there is great hope but you never know what's around the corner so i i'm a very hopeful person and having a good time so and that's interesting that you brought that up because one, that's one of the things I like to talk about on my show is um, if you could explain this to the listening audience because oftentimes the people that I listen to are either younger getting into a business or at my age or your age, let's say, and they're starting off and, and saying I want to make something happen. Talk a little bit about a lot of people have just flat-out apprehension or fear or tension. I'm too old. I had my chance. I could have done this. I could have done that. How did you mentally prepare yourself um, for the long haul and say, you know what, these are my dreams, I'm going to do this, I don't care how old I am. How do people kind of get past that fear or, or stigma, Would you, for lack of a better term? What would you advise them to do if they want to find their true course? How do they do that? Well, I think that if um, what's, you know, being afraid doesn't really help you. It's not going to help you get anywhere. And so for me, I just think, one foot in front of the other and, you know, one thing at a time instead of thinking, oh, my God, maybe this will happen or maybe I want to do this. Just think, you know, I like playing music. I'm just going to play music. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I just decide I was happy as a, the happiest clam in the world playing music in the subway. That was like the end all for me. Like I had, right. oh, my God, this is it. So find joy in in what you do. And if you don't enjoy it, then you're not doing the right thing. So find something you love to do, and then you'll find joy in the moment and in every little step. And then it's like, then you see a meadow in front of you that you didn't see was there. And I, that is how I feel. I cannot believe how much fun I'm having, who I get to play with. I, I, I cannot believe it. And I know there's more of these. I can feel it. Oh, definitely. And you touched upon something there that I have I've said for a long, long time, which is, and I, and I think you might concur with this thought, which is you're not really living your life unless you carry a passion for everything you do and everyone that's in your life, the people you love, the people that you touch. If you don't wake up every morning and you're not excited when you're doing this, that tells you something. That, the, that tickle in the belly is what I call it, I think. And you, I don't know, again, if you watch yourself perform, but I have watched you perform, and I can see the inner beam inside of you. I don't know if you can notice that or not. Um, sometimes well, we all I, can't. I, I do um, perform. You know, when I perform, I put everything into, you know, what mm-hmm. I do. So as people say, you know, play as if it's your very last note. I really do that. I like to be very uh, present, and I enjoy it very much. 
and I enjoy sharing music, and um, I see that other people enjoy it too. I will just say, in terms of what you said, I totally agree with you about you have to have passion in your life. But if uh, along with that, you have to work hard. Like a lot of my time is spent you know, booking things or connecting with people or responding to people. So people should know that there's a there's a whole package of what one needs to do often um, to make those dreams. You can't just sit there and dream it. You have to do the fun part maybe. You know, for me that's music and painting and writing, but there's also, the, you know, the legwork and um, to kind of embrace that as well and know that it's all, you know, do it all and, more good things will come. But, yes, I absolutely do love what I do. And I put – I mean, I'm exhausted when I'm – especially after playing in the subway. I am I am so exhausted. Um, but happily, very happily exhausted. Oh, you bet. You betcha. In fact, you brought up the next thing. It's a perfect segue into what I was talking about. You obviously know – I know that you have a huge love for street performing. I myself am the exact same way. I'm, I am – half of me is here. Half of me is in New York City, so I'm in the subway all the time when I go there. And I have literally stood there, and I have tipped, and I have watched, and I have referred people and said, go down. I love going down into a subway and seeing an actual performer play or stand there and talk to a crowd and perform for them. It's so grassroots lack of a better term. And, and so I guess what I want to ask you is this, because I know I'm in a world where not everyone appreciates the street performance. So I kind of want you to talk a little bit about the difference you find, um, not just in location per se, because it's not obvious, it's a subway, we get it. But some people can't appreciate the art, can't appreciate the art unless it's in a specified location. So I want you to talk a little bit about how enriching or why it's so enriching for you to be a street performer, because I don't think people really get what that really means. Well, um, I do. I think, uh, first of all, I'll just say a lot of uh, performers I know say, "Oh, I always I want to do that," or "I, you, oh, that's so neat that you do that." And I think, well, the mm-hmm. barrier to entry to playing the subway is a lot lower than trying to get a gig at you know BBC right. Club in your city. So it's not right. everybody's um, cup of tea, and there's nothing wrong with that. For me, it's um, I feel very at home there, and um, I just. I don't worry about, um, oh, you know, maybe, um, like some people say, well, how do you deal with, you know, people ignoring you? I don't even think about people ignoring me. I know that when I'm down there, everybody who comes down there did not expect to see me, unless they saw me on Facebook and came down. But they they started their day thinking, i got to take the subway to get somewhere, and I'm a surprise of music. And I'm not somebody who's played with this one or that one. I am just... A person, I, I'm a conduit of music, and I am trying to make people's days better. And people dance, right. and I have a million stories, and I just don't worry about the people who I don't touch because there are a lot of people who reach out to me, and it's uh, I feel like a million-dollar bill every time I leave the subway. Oh, see, that's so amazing. And that's sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you've also done actually more structured in different locations, various places, just tell me the the one major difference you notice between playing a booked gig in an actual location versus street performance. Um, well, I don't know why I feel so at home there. I I just feel uh, one. I'll tell you one big thing, and it's not that you can't play at um, a venue and be literally on the same level as people, but when you play on the mm-hmm. platform in the subway. I'm at the same level as they are, and it's it's. I feel more connected. So people will come up to me 
and talk to me, I think, that they, in a way that they wouldn't if I was on a, even a raised stage. So it's more gotcha. human to human. It just feels very, I'll just say more connected. And I feel like I'm all about connecting with people. Gotcha. Does that, does that answer your totally question? No, no, it totally does, as a matter of fact. Because like I said, sometimes when people are listening in, I think that, that sometimes they really, they see what they don't see. And, and perhaps it's because I've been an artist for such a very long time. I don't know that sometimes people take enough time to really look at the art within an art. Like you walk into an art gallery, what I see in versus what you might see and somebody else sees is different. Just like right. somebody walks into a subway trying to get from point A to point B. Somebody might look at you and say, oh, why are these people down here playing in the subway and it's in, the, it's in my way and da-da-da-da-da, whereas other people are probably on their last limb, more depressed than life itself, crying their eyes out, and all of a sudden this beautiful woman is standing here playing for four minutes. So I guess a lot oh, of it's well, perception. Yeah, it's, uh, more, most, it mostly it's, it's incredible. You know, I have all kinds of stories, mm-hmm. but mostly it is really a joyful experience for me and I think for other people as well. Absolutely, definitely. One of the things that I find really cool about you, get this, folks. She actually took chocolate chip cookies to a venue that she played at. How kick butt is that? Do you take chocolate chip cookies to every venue you play? Okay, <laughs> so like, that cool started. That? Okay, I love to bake, but if I if I eat everything I bake, then I'd be as big as a house, and right. um, <laughs> I and I don't need to eat it all. So I um, whenever I just. One time when I was playing um, at this, uh, I do these these little um, festivals between the Newport Jazz Festival and Folk Festival. They have it's called Bridge Fest, and so I play during that festival. I think the last three years, maybe four years, and right. I think the first year I just said I'm gonna bring cookies, and I brought them with a sign, and it's just so fascinating how people react to my sign of these are free cookies for you to enjoy with my music. Have a nice day and. People Aww. are just skeptical, but then some people are like, really? I'm like, yes, take them. And um, I only do it at that location. So I end up playing there maybe three or four times a year, and I always always bring ah. fresh cookies. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so it's not like every gig. I apologize, folks, if I no, got No, no, no. No, but I mean, no, it's so, it's so much fun. Um, I love it, and people love it, so... Oh, you betcha. I have a friend, as a matter of fact. Well, we had a friend. I was going to say he's not doing it anymore, but Cookie Dave, and we literally call him Cookie Dave because he takes cookies to every gig he goes to. So I'll travel this band, 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 and he brings cookies all the time, which I thought is so neat. I, I like that. It, it stands well, it's out. The little it makes things. you different. Yeah. Amen to that one. Yeah. See what I mean? This is one of the reasons I wanted to interview you because you're little, and there's just it's like a powerhouse of this little person that's got all this neat stuff in her, and it's just, oh, oh gosh, just excites me to no end. Sorry, I sound like I have a fan club crush on you, and we won't do that. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about, which is, of course, what you play, which is the fiddle. Um, I'm not going to lie. I am 100% ignorant about what a fiddle does. I've heard people play the fiddle before. So I have a couple of generic questions about this, which is, is the fiddle more challenging? Like, for instance, my son is now learning how to play the violin. And I'm here to tell you it's not an easy I'm learning. It's not an easy instrument to learn. So if you could maybe talk about the degree of difficulty as it relates to playing the fiddle. And then second of all, was this your instrument of choice or did you start off with something else and then develop skill for the fiddle? Well, um, I will first say that the fiddle and the violin are the same instrument. And usually people ask me that question. It's the same instrument. And um, the fiddle is a style of, and a lot of people in orchestras will call their violins, 
fiddle. The um, mm-hmm. the style of music I play compared to classical music, you I have a flatter bridge, which is where the strings go over the bridge. It's flatter, so it's easier for me to hit more strings at once. So I, I just want to point that out. Okay. Um, as far as it, it's the only instrument I played, um, my in uh, 1970, my dad went to a garage sale and bought the violin that I mostly play when I perform mm-hmm. for $5 at a garage sale, $5. Oh and so God. that's, that was, you know, but I loved it. I loved it from the beginning, but I didn't really like playing classical music. I was in the orchestra and I, I just always wanted to play outside the notes on the page. As far as the difficulty of the instrument, it's the only thing I play People have told me, many people have told me it's considered the most difficult instrument because to get to play it in tune, you, your fingers have to be in a very precise location. But mm-hmm. like a lot of things, I don't think, I don't walk around thinking, oh my God, it, this is a hard instrument. Just like I don't walk around thinking, oh my God, what if I get writer's block? I just think, I'm just <laughs> going to play this and I'm going to practice right. this thing. And so I don't, it, I think it is not an easy instrument. I've spent, you know, more than 10,000 hours and more than 20,000 hours practicing, but a mm-hmm. little bit at a time. And I think it is a uh, to, to master anything and to master any musical instrument and a style of music, it's never ending. And that's why you have to love it and just keep going with it. So it's it it's a zillion hours, which I I am happy to have spent and will continue to do so. Sure. It's it's not oh, easy. Of course. <laughs> of course. But I imagine not. And I watch my son and I'm like, okay, I see. And he's only 10, of course. So he's just learning now. And he is kind of yeah. an on and off. He has, he has an on and off love affair with it. Like, I really want to play. And then all of a sudden it's, oh, this is hard. And I don't want to practice. He's not. He's not disciplined enough yet, and I don't know if it's just his age, and that will come over time, or, um, you know, some people say the violin is, some people will tell me it's either for you or it's not for you, meaning that you'll learn at some point in time if you're matched perfectly or not. So I guess that's my question to you. Can an instrument be matched to you, or you matched it, or at what point in time do you know when you're investing your time in something that you're connected to, or that you should be connected to? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Well, uh I'm going to tell you my secret, and everybody's listening, Uh-oh. and you can tell your son my secret Uh-oh. of okay. practicing. But first I'll say that okay. you, if you love an instrument, you will connect with it, and you have to okay. be dedicated to connecting to it. And if you're passionate sure. about it, then that's not a big deal at all. You just like can't stop thinking about it and listening and, and playing music. Here's my secret that my friend um, who had a farm and three kids and was so busy – told me about his practicing. I said, you keep getting better. He said, Ilana, my secret is that I have my instrument out all the time and I practice five minutes here and five minutes there. So I never say, oh, I don't have a half an hour or hour to practice. I don't, because that stops people a lot of times, I believe, um, thinking, oh, I don't have enough time to really practice. If you just keep chipping at it, chipping away at it, a few scales or one song, um, even once a day, you'll get better. And so you don't have to, it doesn't have to be so daunting. And then you'll, you'll be also, if you play more frequently, like you'll be more connected to that instrument. If you play every day or even five days a week, 10 minutes a day, you may find yourself more connected with that instrument than if you played an hour twice a week. Does Ah, that make sense? 
look at that. It totally does, as a matter of fact. You know, and like I said, I've seen professionals play. I have a dear friend in Milwaukee here that I watched that plays and, and was teaching my son for a little bit. And I've tried to tell my son, too, sometimes patience and persistence pay off. I mean, at a certain point, we all know we can recognize, hey, you know what, I'm not good at this or whatever have you. But sometimes I think if you just learn to apply that passion that you have while having some patience and persistence to see if it actually will pan out, I think it has something to do with that, of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, also, I definitely, and I also want to make sure that I want to ask about this because I imagine, and I'm having an issue with this with myself lately. Any time that you're using your hands extensively for any kind of thing that you do, like in this particular case, I imagine because you're playing and practicing so much, how do you, in essence, if you want to call it this, train your hands, so to speak, or what sort of things do you do to keep them in shape to where you're not miserable? Because I can imagine, I mean, I'm having huge muscle issues right now myself because of overusage. How do you keep yourself well-maintained and still able to do your art? Well, um, uh, a lot of, I get a massage once every two or three weeks. That's one thing. Okay. Um, and it has to be the right person for you and, and, and your needs. I have somebody I've been going to for a long time. And um, okay. stretching, you know, hand, you can look up probably on YouTube hand stretches. And okay. uh, once in a while I need some acupuncture. Um, but when you, I, I believe when you learn how to play an instrument or whatever you're doing without tension in your body, you don't have... Um, you don't have so many problems necessarily. Um, okay. So, and but if you do thing, have a course, problem, yeah, yeah oh, if you sorry. do have like a, a problem with your muscles, it's good to take care. You know, you know, try massage or massage and acupuncture and get it under control. Because like once in a while, I do have something. Um, you know, uh, I start to feel my hands tight or something, and I just. Pull sure. back a little bit and just it's listening to your body and then it won't get bad. That's right. that's a piece of it. Oh, definitely so. Because like I said, I mean, I I just was devastated. I went to my therapist. I've, I've been seeing a number of doctors and I've been a professional writer for 20 some years. So, you know, these are my tools. So when your tools yeah. stop working and now I'm losing strength in my arms and that's scaring me. And I, I was at the therapist the other day and she said, listen, so I can rehab you all you want. But here's the bottom line. You're going to keep overusing them all the time. You're going to write for hours on end. No matter what I do, it's never going to change. And so I guess, uh, you know, it's life modification. It's coming to the realization that you can't write 12 hours a day anymore, 10 hours a day anymore. You have to learn to have a good discipline and rest, I guess. Rest rest is always difficult for those of us that are passionate, isn't it? Because doesn't it drive or, you nuts like when you're not doing it, what you love? Oh, uh, yes. But I will say you Thank said you. modification. It does drive me crazy when I can't do what I want to do. You know, you may find, you know, as a writer that you may need to, um, there's great voice recognition software. Like I'm not saying, oh, there's always a solution to everything. But I do think to try to think outside of the box to find a way that you can do what you want to do, often there is some way that you can modify that is palatable. That's what they tell me. I guess I just have to get over the mental stigma, you know, because I keep telling myself writer translates to writer, which translates to writing. So I just, I'm afraid that if I dictate, I'm not writing anymore. It's a mental thing. It's like, oh, no, you're not a writer anymore because you're not writing it. So your words are not on paper anymore. You know what I mean? It's a mental yep, thing. I'm not. Patience. Yes, totally. <laughs> patience with yourself. I mean, of course you yep. want to do what you want to do, but a, a new way, I, sure. I believe me, I hear you. It is. It's a little bit of frustration there as far as that goes. Now, I want to ask you about the 
Now, when I looked at you, one of the things that I didn't notice, and maybe I just did overlooked a little something in all my research, but I almost pictured you for some reason as, if you haven't done it already, being in a bar and playing Celtic-type music, because I could see where that would fit in very well with you and with the style of music you play, or am I just totally 100% off? I'm just throwing it out there. Have you ever done You're, it? Would um, you do it? Because you'd look perfect for it. Well, I don't play Celtic music. I play Appalachian music, which is a relative of Celtic music. Appalachian That's music what I is the, yes, and I play ton tons of that. That is a that is a, a piece of um, where I where I came from is the Appalachian music. It's tied to the blues, but yes, I I and it's tied to Celtic music. But I would not call myself a Celtic musician. Okay, gotcha. I see what you're talking about. Now, can you talk a little bit more about how you're referencing Appalachian? So to some of us who have not are not familiar with that term per se, or for instance, just give a little background on that type of playing, that type of music, et cetera, so we kind of get a feel for what you're comfortable or what you come from, so to speak. Sure. Well, a lot of people, when they hear me, they say, oh, you play bluegrass music. Because if you, you know, I'm talking about, you know, a nuance in, in this style of music, but um, old, um, old time Appalachian music is the predecessor to bluegrass music. Bluegrass music has solos and and is kind of fancier and notier. If I mean, if I could play them side by side, you'd hear the difference. Appalachian okay. music is mountain music, and it's just has a more kind of raw roots sound. Uh, okay. I don't know if that helps. But it not does, like Celtic music is is note like very noty, and Appalachian um, old time music isn't quite so noty. It's more just uh, a raw, more raw version of of um, Celtic music. I gotcha. Okay, I just wanted to make a differentiation there so that people understood that because some of us are not obviously as musically inclined as you are per se, etc. So it's have that little bit of background. Now, I wanted to happen to, on a side note, I don't want to forget to ask about this, because one of the things that I know you had signed up and, and was on board for was the Violins for Veterans um, program that was going to go on. So I'm just curious to throw it out there. Has that been rescheduled? Is that something that's going to come up on the pipe for you at some point? Because I think that's a huge, hugely important thing to be involved with. Um, I had uh, spoke, I don't even remember who I spoke with at this point about that, because that was a while ago, but I right. do not volunteer for, for everything, but I do, um, I follow my intuition, and if there's an organization mm-hmm. I want to connect with, I will send a message out and and say that I'm available and would like to help out. And so there hasn't been anything rescheduled for that, but, um, you know, I'm hopefully there will be, you know. Right. Well, definitely. So, that's why I thought I'd throw it out there because I don't want to forget about that because I'm like, yeah, that's something that's important because I love it when musicians lend their time to different causes, to different benefits. And such. It, musicians are some of the most big-hearted, more humane individuals, and I, and I don't mean to be crass about that. I have friends across the board, but you love taking your talents and sharing it with the masses, and especially when it's for a good cause, and I just I love that. That's absolutely oh, like- awesome. So thank you. I have my favorite causes for sure. So, yes, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt, certainly. Now, I want to talk a bit about um, some of the other things that you do before we continue on with the music. First of all, I want to know how the experience was, because I know you played at Wilson's Candies in New Hampshire, and that and that's kind of cool. I think to myself, oh, my gosh, that's so neat that she's going to this little place. You pick these neat little niche places to play at. So I'm like, I'm curious to ask how that went. And then second of all, acoustically speaking, how – 
what brings the best sound, meaning uh, in a subway, in a candy store, in a very large size festival? For you personally, what works best for you sound-wise that delivers the best product? Well, I'm not um, not exactly sure how to – I'll talk about each of those a little bit. Um, Nelson's okay. Candy Store was, was great, and that uh, – all uh, people ask me, how do you get these gigs? And things just sort of unfold. So I was playing hmm. as a guest of um, my dear friend um, Bobby Radcliffe, who plays there every year. Um, and I was playing with him. And then when I played with him at the break, they were like, "We'd love to have you." And so I, that's how that happened. Aww. And it was a lot of fun. It's a it's a cool little candy. You know, it's really off the beaten path. Path. It's tiny. Sure. So that was a lot of fun, and that that was nice. I like venues where people really listen to the music. Um, Nelson's okay. was certainly one of those places. Um, the subway is a whole different experience. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes the acoustics can be amazing. In between trains, when even when there are a lot of people, people don't talk a lot in the subway, and it can be a very beautiful experience to just... Sometimes I sing a cappella and and then I'll play some and I love I, I guess I'm saying I love all these experiences. I don't love mm-hmm. being in a noisy noisy bar, but sometimes I find myself in those situations and um you know, I really go with the flow, but that's not my sure. that's not my favorite. Gotcha. No, I understand completely. I just thought that was so neat. And I'm so jealous because I know a little certain someone who opened up for Mr. John Oates himself. Jealous. I would love to interview Oh, my God, that was incredible. That. Oh, <laughs> my God. Talk to me about that one. Way jealous. I was like, oh, my God. Um, first of all, i got to say, he is super cool salt of the earth. Um, it was a private event I was hired to do, and then – I found out that um, they were trying to get him, and I was not to say anything, and and uh, and they didn't end up uh, hiring him. And then we s- showed up, I don't know, maybe two hours early for sound check and everything. He couldn't have sure. been nicer. We started talking mm-hmm. after about five minutes. He uh, he had, he knew a little bit about me, and he asked if I would uh, sit in with if I wanted to sit in with him at the end of his show. I was like, sure. And he oh my god, really, really really a cool guy and that's one of the best things about music is uh there's so many cool people famous not famous i don't care cool people are cool people and i know them when i meet them you know and he was it was really great to meet him yeah see that's so awesome and i've you know what i've i have loved those guys for years you know the duet never got to see them play in person i'm so frustrated because i'm like oh my gosh i would have loved that you know that that i'm an 80s girl to begin with so i'm like oh my god they'll be back around though they still tour, and they're, they're – I mean, he was amazing. They do. Okay, yeah. that's kind of what I thought. Yeah, and I like that, and I love the fact that they have lo- longevity for me is a big thing. Establishing yourself – anybody can establish themselves to some degree in the music industry, but to be around and stay significant and have that type of longevity and build that legendary status, it's amazing, absolutely. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say it today. This, this girl on the other end of the phone, legendary status. That's all I'm going to say for right now because oh, I know. You. I'm just going to go there. Okay, we're going to talk a bit about, let's talk about the writing, of course, because that's one thing we have in common. Just to you folks that are listening in that may not know, she's done a total of four novels. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the last novel is The Underground. Is that correct? That's the most recent. Okay, so I wrote, I've written more than four novels. I only have put out oh. The Underground because I have not had a chance oh, gotcha. to put my other ones out. But, I, I mean, it, it. yes, I, I have written four and um, 
The okay. underground is the only one. I, I'm just so busy. <laughs> no, no, but, I totally yeah. get it. I do the same thing. No, I get that. So a couple questions relative to the writing. I know that you had indicated before that um, somebody had approached you about having interest in doing a screenplay for one of them. So do you foresee for the future something like that becoming – is that important to you to transfer what you have put on paper onto the screen? It's – Super important to me, and in fact, I am um, getting ready to start that screenplay right now. I haven't been able to oh, – I've never written a screenplay, but oh. um, I. a lot of people tell me that the book that I did put out would make a great screenplay, and it, it has been optioned, and I have not had a chance to – write it gotcha. uh, because I was working on another record, but I have now uh, sure. wrapped up my part on a, on a new record. So, yes, I am going to write that in 2017, and I'm very excited about it. I love writing. That is absolutely so cool. So, of course, obviously, of course, I, I'm sure we have this both in common. I'm always asking writers this all the time. Lately, this has been, I've been in a funk because I do – all genres. So I've done screenplays, I've written movies, I've written plays, I've written just about everything. And so lately, for some strange reason, I, I guess my question to you is this. Tell me the times where, do you find it easier to write music? Do you find it easier to write novels? And then second of all, do you experience that 3 a.m., all of a sudden I wake up and I can write, and then there are days on end where I can't write at all. Do you know what I mean? Explain to me if you experience how your writer's block goes, if you in fact have that. Well, I don't have I don't have writer's block. I would say I am in a mode where I paint, I write, I play music and I can be in two of them at once. I cannot really be in three of them in depth at the same time. And I've been in okay, a, gotcha. a deep music in terms of writing. I can always be playing um without creating new material, but I've been in a very creative um, music mode for the last few years, doing some painting and not so much writing. And now I'm I'm switching a little bit. But yes, I have time. I mean, some of the songs on um, my current record, one of them in particular, uh, um, Forevermore, woke me up. Literally woke me up in the middle of the night, and the words were came out like that. Um, sure. You know that happens sometimes. So I don't have times where I can't. Where, where I don't, I just don't think of it like, oh, I, I have a block. It's more that sometimes I have certain more energy to, to play music or more, feel more inspired to paint. Like sometimes, like, oh my gosh, I, like around my birthday, I was like, oh my god, I, I am, I haven't painted in so long. I'm, I got to paint, and I painted my boots. You know, like I'll just, oh my gosh, neat. I just go with whatever comes in my head. You know. Oh, that's so that is so cool. Definitely. Now, before I forget to ask, give everybody that short, sweet synopsis about the underground and why they want to own a copy of that, because I think that's important. You wrote it. You should give yourself okay. sixty seconds of props. Talk to us. Tell me what it's about. Okay. Um, it. Um, I won't give away the whole uh, plot, but I'll just say it is a dystopian romance. Um, it's a matriarchal society, and um, I'll say the right thing happens in the end and okay. uh, if you want to know the full synopsis go to my website i-l-a-n-a-k-a-t-z dot com or you can get it on amazon.com you can get hard copies or uh, read my synopsis there but it's called the underground and um it is a dystopian romance kind of like i think of it in the vein of margaret atwood's the handmaid's tale sort of okay so um gotcha 
If you like dystopia and the Hunger Games and all that stuff, it's in that in that vein. Oh, my God, my son would absolutely love this. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, if it's age-appropriate, because, you know, my son is 10, and that's, that's the huge it's thing. It's not age-appropriate. It's got, some, oh. it's got some adult scenes in it. That's what I thought. So I'm like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do if that. You're an but adult, it's definitely appropriate for me. Yes, yes. Definitely when I'm people, resting my hands, let's rest it with somebody people else's People enjoy book. it, yeah. Okay. And there's a queen in it, FYI. Oh, Just yeah. Saying. It's fun. Okay, you betcha, without a doubt. Now, I am going to um, talk about your two CDs, and then we're going to play a song, obviously, because I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited oh, cool. to play this song because I've listened to it repeatedly. Two different CDs, the one from 2014, which is I've Got Something to Tell You, and then, of course, 2016 is the new one, which is Moving On. So the two yep. things I'd like you to talk about relative to the CDs is um, because you are obviously, obviously you're the creator. So tell me if you noticed a big change in terms of um, – style or writing, et cetera. Is there a big difference between the one in 2014 and the one in 2016? That's the first question. And then second of all, tell me, um, did you as a person, did you notice that your playing style or just your, your performance has changed at all? Are people going to be able to tell a sound difference, quality difference? Just talk a little bit about some of the things you've noticed change over the course of a couple of years. Well, um, I still call them records because they are still, even though they're not like round oh, on sorry. the turntable. No, not at all. Yep. No, I'm just explaining because they it, 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 it ties into your question because it's a record of where I was at that time. So I notice a lot of difference between the two records. Um, I was um, new, to, you know. Also, where was my head at? I was. Uh, my mother died right before I recorded my first record. I was. I was still pretty depressed. And um, so that goes into my playing. And um, I was also, I sang one song on my first record. I was a brand new singer. Like I had only started singing maybe four weeks before we recorded that. I was terrified, but I was encouraged to do it. So I was, uh, you know, insecure and nervous and going through a very hard personal time, but had a lot of love and a lot of encouragement from all those musicians who were with me. So it's a record of that time. The one that my my newer record, most of that um, was recorded with my dear friend Cedric Watson in Lafayette, Louisiana, which in and of itself where you record has uh, an impact on it as well and who you record with. And uh, I was much more confident at that time. I was really willing to sing a lot more and had been working on my voice and was writing songs uh, more. So that was, um, yeah, I I noticed a big difference. And then also I had uh, the great honor to work with um, my friend Bobby Radcliffe and uh, right. his trio in New York, and then also with Barry Levinson in Los Angeles. So, I I love both records, but I do feel I was a uh, you know I'm and and my new record even now and in my performing I'm just so much more confident with my singing and I've just been working on everything. So it's a progression. Oh, That's why it's called moving on. Nice. Very nice. And I want to mention, folks, before I play this song, obviously some people obviously think she's wonderful because I know that you are, of course. Coolest blues song in the world, 2015. I thought that well, was a so finalist. Cool you were one of the yeah. finalists. Yes, I was yeah. about to say finalist. Yes, she's a finalist, but doesn't that sound totally awesome, folks? Listen to that. Coolest blues 
on in the world. And just to be, even though, even whether you win or don't win, just being in that, you know, just being considered that, that's so, ooh, it's a bumps moment. But I'm going to shut up for four minutes and 20 seconds. We're going to play You Crush My Soul. That was my choice out of all the ones that you sent over. Oh, okay. I prefer it. And there's obvious reasons. So let's all listen in. You Crush My Soul is the name of it. Oh, 
to ask you a question. Sure. Because I'm curious. Uh, this is just what I got after listening to a bunch of different um, playings of you, meaning you playing out, et cetera. And the mm-hmm. sense that I get, and you know what you remind me of, and you probably hear this a lot, is almost a, a younger and a bit softer version of um, Janis Joplin. Oh, my God. No, nobody said that to me. Wow. Holy man, this is a virgin experience that happens a lot on my show. No, honestly, I have to tell you that. I have a very dear friend of mine who's actually very close to her sound, and I tell her this all the time. She doesn't believe me either, and I'm like, no. I think part of it has to do with your appearance, and I think the other part of it has to do with your sound, and combined with the both. I, that's legitimately what I see. Um, that's why I'm not kidding cool. when I talk about legendary status. Please use that as your next show. Somebody in the media just told me very recently, I got the look and the style and the feel of that Janis Joplin girl, and I'm going places just as simple as that. See? Well, Power to the older you. women, a little over 20 or so. Now, before I forget, we want to talk about the artistic side of you, not that you're not artistic enough in every manner, shape, or form, but I know that you do, um, obviously, I know you've done charcoal, pastel, you've done marker drawings, pencil drawings, paintings, you name it. So talk to me a little bit about that creative genre, because, again, that's something I don't know how to do. What does doing that type of art provide you from something like music or writing per se? Well, it's funny. All the time when I walk around, I just see things and I just like want to make things out of them. Like I have made um, bracelets out of my used violin strings and I haven't had enough time to do oh my a lot of those. I just, I see things and I, um, I, I want, I like to make things I can wear you know, like I think okay. about, well, how can I make my jeans? You know, I, I don't, I don't, I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You know what? I'm not afraid to try. Like with my boots. Okay. I told my husband, I was like, I'm going to paint my boots. He's like, okay, have a good time. You know? Oh my gosh. How cool so I have is fun. that though? That's neat though. And I, and I like that. Plus that type of art is a little different in an expressive manner. Meaning that my son draws and I see certain things that come out in his drawing that doesn't come out when he writes. So I do think that there's a way to express yourself. Different forms give you different feelings, which give you different yeah. forms of expression. That's just my thought as a matter of fact. Yeah. And I'm going to, and I'm going to beg you before I forget about this because you're too busy to probably do this, but you might know um, this is an outstanding question in my show. Um, my son, my almost 12-year-old son, up until very recently, I think it last two and a half months ago, he was a uh, three-year patient. He was a seizure patient, actually. Um, and so up until that point, he had been experiencing seizures. So wow. my beautiful son, without inspiration from me, decided to not only illustrate but to write a comic book. And in the comic book, during the course of this comic book, um, you know, he, he comes up with a villain and a hero. And the long story short is that Sergeant Seizure, that's a, a good guy, he cures mm. seizures. And so we have tried, we have been trying, and I've been trying for artists now, to make it into a comic book. We want to put it into all the different children's pediatric hospitals across the country. Um, and that's our goal. So if you know anyone, an actual artist that can do this, I've tried, I have gone through four artists now, and I don't understand what it is if artists are just quirky or different kind of people, but for whatever reason, it keeps falling apart, and I'm thinking, is this ever going to get done? You know what I mean? It's different when we promise ourselves something, but I promised him this. So because right. it's my son, every, you know, every time somebody comes on, I'm like, do you know anyone? Or can you lead me in a direction? Or can you find me someone? Yeah, I'm a- like, I'm getting desperate. A friend of mine from college is a great illustrator, and he popped right into my head. I don't know if he can he can do it, but I will connect you sure. with him. Definitely. That would be terrific, certainly. And without a doubt, you know, you are rolling, roaming into my realms. So if you get into trouble with the screenplay, you can always knock on my door because I'm always big on that hole. If somebody gets in great. trouble here, 
I'm here for you. Now, there's two more things we need to do because we only have seven minutes left because I have to okay. do your counterparts at the festival, which is, of course, right after you. I'm doing the um, both Realize Bradenton and, of course, the Blues Foundation as well. So it's a big day, right. two-hour show today. So we'll talk about the festival last. Before I forget, I want to go across all these different forums, and you let me know if I forgot anything. To those of you listening who want to find her, I will tell you each and every way. She's located on Amazon, iTunes, CD Baby, Google+, Goodreads, YouTube. She has a Facebook page, and I'm going to spell her name for you. It's I-L-A-N-A and Katz, K-A-T-Z, twice. So it's Alana Katz Katz. And that's her Facebook page. She is also on Twitter, and that handle is at, and it's cats, cats, twice. And then, of course, her website, I-L-A-N-A, cats.com. Did I miss anything? Any place else you I can didn't, you? You didn't, but... Not at all, okay. but I haven't been on Twitter lately. I would say that um, oh, people should okay. go. My, I'm about to redo my um, website, okay. and that's a good good kind of uh, portal to getting information about me. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because oftentimes no, people don't realize great. that they can find you here, here, here. Now, I don't want to forget to bring up the two big things that, that kind of strung us together here, which is, of course, the Bradenton Blues Festival. I know that. Um, I'd like you to talk about two different things, of course. Talk a bit about um, the Blues Festival, how you got incorporated with that when you're playing, which is December 3rd. But prior to that, the day before, December 2nd, you're doing Blues in the Schools. So just talk to us a bit about each event and how people can find you there, meaning what time you're playing and what you can offer when they're there. Well, I'll talk about the Blues in the Schools first. That's um, a week from today, Friday morning. I don't know if that's open to the public, but it must be because it was in the Sarasota newspaper. Um, okay. So they'd have to look at, you know, I'll post that on my Facebook page um, in the okay. next day. I'll find out, or maybe you can ask some of the other people who are going right. to be on the show. That is, I, I, I'm going to be speaking to the high school students in Bradenton. I'm very excited. I love talking about blues mm-hmm. history, blues fiddle history. I bet. Um, and I've done that a few times with different age um, school students, and I'm really excited about that. So that is going to be next Friday morning. Um, I got into the invited to play the festival, which I'm so excited about, because I was in Memphis last um, January for the International Blues Challenge. Um, I was not part of the challenge. I played in my local contest in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, three times and came in last out of two, last out of two, and tied out of three. I was second. And I just, my friend said, oh, come with us. We will take you everywhere. And I just ended up playing with tons of bands. And it shows you what, you know, just because you don't win a contest doesn't mean you you can't have fun. So I I was at a brunch there, and I met um, 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 Paul, and he Uh invited me to, he called me up a a few weeks afterwards and invited me to do both these things, and I'm very, very excited. I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. See, and that is so neat. You know, I I like that, and and I was kind of bummed because actually Kim and I originally, when we first talked, we were talking about the idea of just, sending me down there, in which case I would interview all you musicians, I would interview the foundation, the whole nine yards, and we just couldn't get it together this year. So I was bummed. I was very excited. I still get to have you on the show, because obviously I hands down wish I could have done all the musicians, because uh, I'm just a huge blues fan myself, personally, mm. so I think that it's an amazing it's an amazing time to get people together, without a doubt, certainly. So in my last three and a half minutes with you, um, customarily, you probably have never listened to my show before, so what you don't know is at the end of every show, I always get to tell the guests what I think of them. 
Um, and I do this for a reason. Well, first of all, I think that you should get an outsider's point of view because I, you know, I've spent a good deal of time researching you, listening to you, watching you play. So I get some sense of you. And hopefully if I've done my job right, I've covered all the necessary ground, taught people a little bit about you, what they've known from a professional standpoint, but also a personal standpoint. And you get my reflections as well. Um, so here it goes. So you can just okay. listen in. Hopefully I've done this right. Okay, folks, what, this is what I can't tell you about this lovely lady. Um, this very dear f- friend of mine, and I don't want to forget to say this, Kim, right off the bat, this is um, the publicist that has worked with me before, um, and I'm very, very excited to say that we're becoming very good friends, and she's an absolutely wonderful person, and I can clearly see that she represents great quality individuals. She brings people to the table that are fabulous. I've had an amazing journey with you today, my dear. Thank you for coming on the show, by the way, and um, I'll get to you in just a second. But, Kim, I just want to say thank you so much for bringing everyone on the show today, taking so much time, doing all this work, putting them all together. I appreciate it more than I can tell you. So thank you so very much. Now back to you, young lady. The very first time that I opened up and I took and I did a search of you and I took a look at all these various pictures and articles, the very first thing I saw, which is the very first thing I said to you, which is um, there is something inside of you that, that beams very brightly and I can tell what it is. It's the passion by which you carry your life. And by that, without having even met you yet, I can already tell that you are probably on a scale of 1 to 10, 20 when it comes to loving your music, your family, your animals, the people that you come in contact with, your fans, your music. And what's nice about this is that you not only carry a love of one art form, but you carry a love of multiple art forms. You're dainty, but you're cute. You're sweet, but yet you're very boisterous. The minute you open your mouth, you make your point in very few words. Not everyone can do that. I'm not that kind of person. I need a lot of words to make a point. You do it in a very short and very succinct way. Your music is very relatable. Your presence is very magnanimous. Even whether it's in a subway or whether it's in a shop or whether it's at a festival or whether it's at somebody's door. You have a very large presence. This is exactly why I spoke of what I did earlier, which is the legendary status. I foresee not only you having a very long career in every single one of these mediums that you're doing, but more importantly, I hope one day when I get the next film done or the next play done, that I can come to this lovely lady and say, I want your music to become a part of my project so that Mm. people can realize that beam of light extends not only just to a record or to a festival, but it extends to an art that I love that will so many other people will listen to. And I hope that I've done my job well enough to where when you leave this show in the next couple of minutes that you'll say, why, of course I'd come back on because I would love to have you anytime. Oh, I would love to. Thank you for everything, for having me. Thank you for everything you said. It means so much. I'm so flattered, honored. And hey, thanks for taking the time because the holiday was yesterday, so you're probably, like, exhausted and, like, oh, my God, now I'm going to do the show, and it was Thanksgiving yesterday. I totally get it. Oh, but it's nice, I too. Do. I take nothing for granted. Thank you so much. I really appreciate oh, what you I like do. That. And um, um, I to hope you. to get to and meet you And don't forget to get a hold sometime. of me. Yes, you will definitely do that. As long as you keep playing in the subway. I go to New York all the time. Boston's not far from New York, right? Aren't you close? Boston's not that far, and I go to – I'm actually in New York okay. now, but <laughs> – Oh, my God. See? Oh, see, it's bigger. She's finally there, and I'm not there. No, I get to New York, and I get to Boston. So we'll collaborate off the air as far as that goes. We'll talk about the screen. Okay. And you can let me know the artist you have in mind. Because now call number two is coming in, which means i got one more hour of work to do. So have a wonderful weekend, darling. Thank you. I hope to talk Blessings to you soon. Blessings to you. Blessings to you. Anytime Thank here. you so much. All right. All bye-bye. right, dear. Have a good one. 
All right, folks, we're on to hour number two. So let's get going with the Realize Bradenton folks and the chairman of the International Blues Foundation. Let's see who we got calling in first. And who do I have with me first? Well, right now you have John Ed Isham with Realize Bradenton. <gasps> we, we run the Bradenton John. Blues Festival. Oh, my God, I am so excited and very nervous. I'm excited, but I'm nervous. I, I know a lot about you, and it scares me. Oh I'm not going to lie. No, no, no. I'm no, no, very no. scared. No, no. Your I don't bite. scares me. I'm, no, I'm no. serious. But I have to start this interview off by saying you must be good people because you are friends with someone that I know, and I did not know that. Do you, Who's that? Um, how, well, how well do you know Lynn Warburg? I'm trying to remember. Now, how would I know Lynn? Tell me. Let me refresh your memory. When I was on Facebook and I was creeping on you, because that's what I do as a journalist, I happened to notice that one of our mutual friends is Lynn. Lynn is doing a book on Haiti. She's very big on that. She's an artist. Her son um, is actually a psychiatric patient. She had a huge campaign for him. She was just doing a GoFundMe campaign. She was on my show, actually, a couple of months ago. Her and I have become really good friends. So I just assumed, forgive me, I saw this mutual friend, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wonder how she knows Lynn. It's like a very small well, world. I'm like, you know, I've got, like, of, almost 5,000 friends on my Facebook, <laughs> and, uh, yes. and I, and I probably know Lynn. I just, yeah, yeah. No, I totally understand. I, I'm just going to stop you real quickly because I know Paul is calling in, so I'm going to connect him right away yes. so all three of us can be on at once. So just give me two seconds. Sure. I'm on, too. Hi, Paul. Hi, hey, how are you? Have you turned the computer? We're all here. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that all three of us are here. Everybody can hear everybody now? Yep. Yeah, hey, Paul. Okay, hey, how are you? Good. 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 We're all here at the exact same time. Yay. So, everybody, let me just do this introduction here, of course. We're going to – I'm kind of – just so you guys understand the format, we'll kind of jump back and forth. I'll ask a general question to both of you, and I think it's important that both of you answer in terms of your different perspectives and outlooks on things, and then we'll kind of – disassemble you both if we will and we'll talk about Realize Bradenton and of course we'll talk about Paul's different ventures and such with the Blues Foundation etc. Make sense? In this way we're getting a nice well-rounded coverage here. Um, so Paul I want to start with you a little bit because one of the things that I found so impressive in doing some of the research that I did about you is how very fiery and, and, and very seasoned and very um, encouraged you are about keeping the legacy of this type of music alive and well. So talk to me a little bit about the blues scene these days, because I haven't been out, I haven't been noticing or listening to blues music. Talk to me a bit about why it's so fundamentally important for you to carry on this sort of legacy when it comes to this legendary music. Why does this matter, and what should we know about it? Well, the, the blues is, you know, is uh, the first recorded music ever, and, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, do know B.B. King, do know Stevie Ray Vaughan, but there's so much more to the blues than just those two artists, and, and you know, the blues has been evolved over so many years and has outlasted any other music uh, out there today, you know, in, uh, in, in, okay. in the past, and, 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 you know, the blues to me, I mean, like, I'm a promoter and, you know, and, and booking age, you know, and, and book pe- people and, uh, you know, a talent buyer, per se, and, do a number of festivals and a number of shows, but it's important to me is that keeping the legacy alive from the old blues uh, format to the revolving doors that's opening for new blues artists of today. I mean, is uh, the the blues styles of today is is totally different than the you know the blues styles of uh, you know for instance you know the you know Muddy Waters, the, the Holland Wolves, the uh, big you know uh, you know uh, Robert Johnsons and stuff. You know those people you know paved the way, but they opened the doors for so many blues artists of today, and a lot of the younger artists do pay homage to their, you know, past, uh, you know, people. But 
today's artists also, uh, you know, there's never going to be another Muddy or a Wolf, or, you know, or you know, in that. But uh, you know, today's youth have a chance. You know, we don't want today's new stars being what the old stars did. We want them to be artists in their own right. And so the sure. only way they're going to get a chance to do that is by getting out playing and uh, getting on festivals, getting booked in clubs, and uh, you know, and getting their uh, what they play out. So the, to me, that's the important part of of keeping this legacy alive. I've been bringing blues you know, in the main since 1978 and been doing this since basically 78. Right. And uh, right. I love what I do. I'm a blues fan first. Uh, you know, when the other, everything else comes in, I mean, you know, with, with the festivals, uh, with the uh, record label and manage, managing some artists and uh, all the different shows I do and then being involved with the Blues Foundation uh, is my way of is my little way of uh, trying to keep this music uh, healthy and, and strong and and you know uh, a lot of people are amazed I, that I do not play an instrument uh, but I uh, you know there's enough players and it's, you know it's people like me and a number of other promoters throughout the world that uh, and club owners and uh, that need to be keeping what we're doing so it keeps the doors open for keeping this music alive for the new new generation of blues players and the older generation who are still out there touring so. Uh, that's a oh, definitely. <laughs> no, I totally get it. Now, I want to go over to the flip side over to you, Jonette, and ask you a question because, of course, you're the executive director of Realize Bradenton. So I want to just, um, in terms of the festival, of course, it's a blues festival. So because I'm not from Florida, I need a little insight here into our listening audience as well. Um, was it, from its inception, automatically always going to be a, a blues-type festival? And in terms of, obviously, the music itself in, in your community? in the Florida community, how important is this type of music, this type of festival? How, how is music a fundamental need in that community of yours? Because I want to get a little insight of, of the art type feel community in your area. Well, Realize Bradenton is a nonprofit and we actually run 75 events and the blues festival is our biggest destination festival. And we're a nonprofit that's about six years old. And when we saw that Bradenton was becoming a real blues destination, when the, the blues music magazine moved to our downtown, we ha- and when we have a convergence of a lot of blues artists who have moved here from around the country, as well as some great okay. blues bars like Aces Live and Blue Rooster. Um, mm-hmm. And I just happened to be talking to Jack Sullivan about the possibility of doing a festival on our new Riverwalk, and he said, you know, if you want to do a festival right, you got to give Paul Benjamin a call. So Paul came down, and the stars were aligned. Everyone was so excited, from the mayor to the politic- elected officials, um, all the residents, and we work with such a diverse group that I think, as Paul said, you know, blues is the original American music, and it resonates with everyone, particularly in our little um, community and around the world, as Paul can tell you, because we draw people from 10 different countries, 35 states, and 200 zip codes in Florida come to the Bradenton Blues Festival each year. Which is amazingly impressive. And not only that, it is, and correct me if I'm not mistaken, but it kind of expands from an economic standpoint. You have huge expansion in terms of the amount of revenue it brings in. It brings in different cultures, different communities, and different sorts right. of things during, during the weekend. You know, obviously not just the playing, of course, but I like the whole, the gospel blues brunch. I think that's fabulous, absolutely fabulous inception. Um, so and, on many fronts, obviously, that's beneficial. 
And everything we do has an educational component, and Paul can speak to this as well. We do blues in the schools for about 500 high school students. Paul helps us okay. get in one of the headliners, um, who I think you might have talked to today, Alana Kotzkotz, is coming yep. in Just to uh, the schools on Friday. And we have a free concert the night before, uh, although our festival is only $30 due to our – we've got about 65 sponsors that help keep the festival prices low – we also do right. a great community concert for free the night before. So and that has many dimensions. Okay. Yes, that's right. Gotcha. Yep. Got it. And we want to clarify something real quick because Alana and I were just talking about this, and we had um, spoken about the December 2nd event. So we just want to clarify. We weren't sure if that's a public event where people from the public can actually come in. I don't mean in droves, let's say, but could they come in and witness this oh, sure. educational um it is okay. Oh, got it. We oh, well, well right the now. Blues in the Schools is for the high school students. The Friday night okay. concert is a free concert, and the festival okay. site can accommodate about 3,000. So, yeah. Got it. Okay, got it. Because we were, t- we were talking about her participating in the school thing, and so we were like, yeah, we wonder, is it public or not? Because it was just in the newspaper. So we were assuming, oh, if it's in the newspaper, people can come. Do you know what I'm saying? Meaning in the school, the, the high school yeah. portion of it. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. wonderful. And since we brought up the educational standpoint stuff, let's talk to both of you about this. Because, of course, I, I understand Realize Bradenton is a nonprofit that brings people together in terms of strengthening social, cultural, and the physical assets in the area. And one of which, of course, we've noticed here, I'm from Wisconsin, and I can speak to this. And maybe you both can talk about the educational necessity or lack. That we seem to be lacking in my community here. The arts and the music program is one time a week, and that's all that kids are getting for an hour at a time. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. talk a bit, both of you, in terms of both sides of the spectrum in both places that you work at, how fundamentally important it is to implement new and interesting educational things from an art and music perspective, and how do you feel both mm-hmm, of your organizations mm-hmm. are doing at that? Yeah, I'll let Paul go first on that one. Okay. I was going to let you, but that's fine. Uh, I, I think it's, <laughs> uh, it's extremely important because uh, – I, I, you know, most of the school districts around the country, uh, you know, if they got to cut money, it's usually in the, in the music program, and that's unfortunate. And uh, and there are some, uh, you know, great blues in the school programs put on throughout the, you know, through Blues Foundation, as well as many individual blues societies uh, doing for different schools and that. But uh, you know, having those uh, those young kids seeing, uh, you know, sometimes young kids we brought into the school, for instance, in Bradenton. Uh, you know, we've had, uh, you know, uh, homemade jams in here, which are the same age as the kids they were talking to. And, uh, uh, and you know, in layman's terms, uh, last year was, you know, they were, the, they were in high school, you know, as a kid. So, uh, it, you know, so if, if the music programs are getting caught in, and if you can start uh, bringing in some of these artists into the school, that, you know, it, it might encourage someone else in that district to look to say, you know, we need this program. I mean, uh, you know, the, the music any any type of music, yeah, we're, you know, we're talking blues, but any type of music in the you know in the schools. I mean, music is uh, you know puts a smile on everybody's face for a minute, and you know, no matter what's going through on in, in their life, uh, uh, you know, if you can get a chance to sit back, relax, and forget about all your troubles and listen to some music, uh, it's very healing. So, and I I just think it's important, uh, you know, for you know more schools. I would love to see you know uh, you know music. You know, it's so important to everybody's uh, lifestyle that it would be nice to see the school budget putting that money back in the budget and, and looking to do maybe cut something else uh, instead of the music. Because I think music is such right. such important uh, factor for youth growing up today and just in, in turning into adults. 
Yeah, so um, I agree with everything Paul says, and we we work with both the visual arts, the performing arts, and the musical arts, and we really believe that it's important to educate and excite the next generation of blues music lovers. So we do that through Blues in the Schools, and we also work with the Suncoast uh, Blues Society to uh, work in the elementary uh, schools as well. And about two weeks ago, we had a fabulous event with the Manatee Young Professionals. So these are uh, professional young people under 35, and we had a blues buzz at our local um, great blues joint called ACES. And so we're trying to, whether they're elementary, high school, or in the workforce right now, really help educate and excite young people to live music and live blues music. And we also, at, uh, at the event that Alana is performing at, we give away um, 20 tickets to the um, high school students. Oh, to nice. get Okay. Yeah, to get them at the festival. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. In fact, I was going to ask a curiosity question, because I know that you usually have, obviously, Realize has, five full staff members, and, of course, over 300 volunteers. So I was just curious to ask if a lot of that quota in terms of volunteers, are those younger adults, individuals that want to get actively involved on an early on stage, and this is a great mm-hmm. way to be able to do that. So I'm just curious. Do you, do you find that the youth likes to participate? Oh, absolutely. For the high school students, when they work with us, they get volunteer hours. And of our 300 volunteers, I'd say a good 20% are younger people, and uh, they like to contribute and give back. And so it's a great way to get all generations together. We use about 150 volunteers at the festival itself. So nice. it's uh, like clockwork, um, getting all our volunteers in the right place at the right time. But uh, whether they're uh, boomers or seniors or high school or college students, we, we really depend on them, as all festivals do, the volunteer force to contribute. Sure. Now, I'm, I'm, I also have another question because I want to talk a bit about these events that, of course, that you have throughout the course of the year, and then we'll switch back over to Paul for a bit. A couple of things I want to cite here that um, you do throughout the year, the music in the park, uh, the art slam, mm-hmm. the farmer's market, the mainly art, mm-hmm. those different types of things. Curious to ask, in your area, what do you find to be the most popular, meaning what's bringing out the crowd the very most, and do you envision doing down the road future events and kind of widening your scope a little bit? Not that you're not certainly because you're covering almost every area you can think of. Well, we, we like to say we bring people together through food, fun, and music. And for the millennial events, we've gotten about $150 from the Knight Foundation to do pop-ups for a purpose to get young people okay. physically engaged, we find craft beer is another attractor with the food. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's with our pick and picnic, and Art Slam is really the visual performing and um, music arts, uh, mainly with high school and college students working in teams, and it's about 20,000 um, people from around the community come and make art together. So I think okay. anyway particularly at this time in the world, to bring people together in a positive way around music, fun, and food. People make connections that they didn't have before with themselves and and with others, actually. Sure. Oh, definitely. Okay, now, Paul, I want to switch over to you for a second because on the flip side of the fence here, because I know that a lot of work that you have done has been in promotion and, of course, within blues festivals, orchestrating blues shows, things along those lines. So you might work in different venues in different places, let's say necessarily outside of Jeanette, so to speak. 
So I'd like you to talk a little bit about your experience in terms of as, as you travel along doing various shows in various different places. One of the things that I talk a lot about on my show is we are worried about the absence of live music in venues across the country, meaning it's becoming the dying breed, the pay-to-play scenario is coming out there. Talk a little bit about how you are keeping kind of the art alive across the country. What do you feel appeals these places or venues, et cetera, to kind of keep things alive and going? whether it's a blues specific music in general, I guess I'm, I'm really looking at here. Well, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a tough question, uh, but, but talking about doing, I mean, I, I live in Maine and, you know, you know, Maine is, right. uh, you know, not, not as not known as a hotbed for blues. Uh, but on the other hand, I've been bringing blues into Maine since 78 and, you know, and, and uh, you know, it st- started, uh, you know, North Atlantic blues festival started, you know, and, you know, in Rockland, I started, and then you know you kind of expanded and and you know and so expanding it you know I'm involved with six different festivals now you know three which are in Florida and you know one in Maine one in Massachusetts and another one in St John Virgin Islands so okay and then you know when I'm in in a chance of expanding to do you know a couple of more festivals that I'll you know I'll know in the next few weeks but. The festivals is one part of it. Uh, you know, uh, the hard part for an artist in, in, in the blues world, since I'm, you know, that's my expertise, sure. uh, is, is diffi- difficult to get a tour together. And, you know, t- 20, 10 years ago, an artist could go on tour for, for 30 days and play 28 days and, uh, and have a good tour and, and, and make some, you know, good money and make a living. And, you know, unfortunately, there's been a lot of blues clubs that have closed up. Uh, the blues audience is an older audience and, and that's our biggest fight mm. in the blues world mm-hmm. is is right. and that's mm-hmm. why it, it's important to bring in uh and, and, and you know with these younger artists who are playing and get them in front of the the, the, the crowd because they can start bringing in a younger audience and uh you know and and you know most festivals the average age is probably 50 years old and older and and uh and so the, the blues crowd by, by getting older, you know, as, as they get, you know, when they, when they get in the 70s and 80s, they don't go out near as much as they did. So uh, sure. having more venues and more festivals going around the country and encouraging clubs uh, to start the shows for blues. I mean, you, you get a lot of clubs have closed down because the blues people stop coming in. And, you know, and my big fight against that is what time did you start your show? Well, they started at 10 o'clock at night. Well, blues fans want to go home at 10 o'clock at night. They don't want to be getting sure. up to go out. So we've been preaching, and I, I do a Monday night series here in Rockland, Maine, and I've been in the same room now for 20, over 20 years. And, you know, we do 7 o'clock shows. They're done at 10 o'clock. So even if people drive an hour to a show, they can be home at 11 o'clock. So, and, and, and there's a lot of clubs now that are doing blue shows, you know, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, and then they're turning their club over and, and then having their hip-hop or their DJ or whatever they want that's from 10 o'clock till 2 in the morning. So that now they're getting both crowds of people, so they're getting an older crowd in the beginning of the evening, and then they're getting the young people who want to be out till two or three in the morning. And you know, so the biggest fight in the blues world is, is educating some of the club owners to you know to try some earlier blues shows, and and then by doing more festivals, uh, it offsets the, the clubs that are closing, you know, that, that are closed up, or you know, the people who have had the club have gotten old and you know and didn't have someone to turn that club over to. Uh, having a club is a rough business. I mean, it's, it's a, it, you, you're kind of married to it, and you've got to be there all the time. So, 
so by by creating uh, new festivals that I've been involved in, and, you know, and helping other people, because uh, I consult around the country for them, and, and, and talking at, at different places I've been asked to speak at regarding this type of thing, is is trying to get these people to try something new and think think outside of the box, and then, and if you can start gravitating and getting some of those younger people into the, the festival and, and seeing what's going on, they realize, you know, wow, I didn't realize I like that kind of music. They didn't realize there's so much blues rock that's no much, not much different than straight rock and roll that some of the kids listen to this day or, or some of the artists they do. But if you can get them to a festival one time and they realize, wow, this is uh, pretty cool, I didn't realize, like, like I said earlier, that I, I, I kind of like this music and I didn't even realize this was blues. So, you know, getting them there is, is, is half the battle. Once you get them there, uh, I, I feel if I can get them in the door one time, I own them. They're going to be there forever. So uh, so having the younger bands is like the homemade jams that we had at, uh, at Bradenton. Or I bring, you know, uh, you know the, uh, some of the young ones I bring in, like, you know, uh, Kingfish, who was out of Mississippi, 17 years old, and, and people of that nature, getting them on the bills and, the, you know, the Samantha Fishes and the Selwyn Birchwoods and, you know, and those people getting them in front of bigger crowds, well, they have a younger following for them. And so it's important to get some of them on the bill to keep younger people coming into the gates, filling up seats. And now the Blues Purists, now they're the ones that we have that problem. They don't, they're, they're, they're so old school. They don't like the Blues of today, which is unfortunate, uh, you know, and it's, uh, but they're coming around. There's, there's a lot less uh, Blues Purists than there was you know, five years ago, and they're realizing, uh, you know, uh, again, as I repeated, I said earlier, there's no more Mighty's and there's no more Wolf's, and, you know, there's no one's going to repeat, you know, or there's no more B.B. King's. They, you know, their legacy is going to be there forever, and so the younger people coming in playing it is going to bring younger people into the clubs, younger people to festivals, and it keeps it, keeps it evolving, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, to me, that's, that, that's the way it needs to go. Well, and I'm, I'm interested to ask this question of both of you, really, kind of on the caveat of what you were just talking about, which is, of course, obviously you want to start bringing in the younger crowd, et cetera. But just in general, talk to me both about in terms of what sorts of things are, are true you're utilizing to try to bring in your audiences, meaning what sort of offerings do you find that people are looking for in any sort of festival, per se? Obviously, of course, we all go because when it benefits a nonprofit or certainly benefits our arts or culture, most of us are or interested in attending, et cetera. But are there specific things that you know truly use that over time and trial have said, hey, you know what, this is what's bringing our crowds in? Because when you've got people coming from multiple states, countries, et cetera, you're doing something right. So tell us some of the things that you find work best um, and, and that are just mass quantity items that people are lining up to come and see. Well, I'll, I'll start that because it really speaks to how important Paul has been to the Bradenton Blues Festival. Um, we survey our audiences after each festival within two weeks. We survey our audiences because we have email addresses from the e-tickets. We survey our volunteers and we survey our sponsors. And without exception, it's the quality of the talent and it's the site. The site that we have is right on the river, beautiful. Um, is it well run? Uh, is it well paced? Paul keeps about 15 minutes between the bands. Um, certainly, the food vendors are important, and we actually offer air-conditioned porta potties, which even in December, oh at a gosh. festival, is a hot number. And so no we kidding. run a really high-quality festival. Again, 
due to our 65 sponsors who donate close to 200000 to keep the quality high, the ticket prices low, and blues in the schools the day before. So there's a variety right. of factors. But, Paul, wouldn't you say it's the quality of the mu- music, it's the pacing? Uh, we do a great gotcha. job in terms of promotion and social media. So um, what other factors, Paul? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bradenton gets it. Uh, they've gotten it from year one. They've been a great group to work with. Uh, and I consult for other festivals, and it takes me three or four years to get them to realize what's going on. Uh, Bradenton, uh, you know, with Johnette and her crew, is a great crew of people. They work very well together, and and Johnette knows her strengths and knows her, you know, weaknesses. Not that you have any, Johnette, but, but you know. No, but when I do, I have a question. I call you, Paul. Right? Yes. And, and so you, you, okay. she, she lets her people that she knows is going to get the job done right and, and do it, you know. And uh, I, I've been to a number of festivals, and, when, you know, and, and I look at uh, – I am a very strict on a stage. I, I mean, I know the artists. I mean, I know every one of the, every artist I book. I mean, they've played for me somewhere over the years, and, and I know what they can do and what they can't do. And, and, but it's like you as a paying fan coming in that gate, so you're coming in to see – one act, and so it's, you know, and and, he, and that act is scheduled to play at two o'clock, and you've got you know, and that act is someone you really wanted to see, and you come in the gate at quarter or two because they're going at two, and you've got about an hour, hour and a half before you got to leave and get back to work, or you only can be there, and you you know, and you get there quarter or two, and then all of a sudden you you, you find that the festival's running half hour, forty five minutes behind schedule. And you paid money to see a certain act, and all of a sudden you get there, and you have to leave now because you're you only got that window to get there, and you don't get mm-hmm. to see that act. Well, guess what? You're never going back to that festival. So I think it's extremely important that, to run the festival on time. So if you say someone's going on at one o'clock, they're on the stage mm-hmm. at one o'clock. So when I tell an act they got ten minutes, five minutes get off my stage, they get off the stage because if they don't, I'm going to basically walk up and get them off the stage, and I, I don't have to do that because they understand it. Sure. And, and, you know, and, and, then, and then when you put a lineup together for a festival, I do not bring in my favorite blues acts. If anybody, if you were to ask the question, who's headlining the Bradenton Blues Festival this year? Well, my answer would have been, would have been every act that's playing is a headliner. Someone has to open the show. Mm-hmm. Someone has to close the show. If you're a, no if you're a Ronnie Baker Brooks fan, he's your headliner. And just because he happens to be closing, but but if you're a uh, you know a Jason Ritchie fan or or you know uh, Larry McRae or uh, you know Slan Allen, uh, who's going to you know one of these people going to be open to the show, uh, that's who you're going to see. That's your headliner. So uh, the way I look at it, every every festival I book, everyone is a headliner because you do not know who in the audience is coming to see what artist. So by bringing in a different, a wide variety of blues acts, different styles of blues. Uh, that caters to more people, and then it also educates people who might not have heard of an actor. Say, well, gee, I'm, a, I'm I love a, a female vocalist, or I, I love harmonica, but gee, I didn't realize I like that guitar player. I like that. Or Slam Allen, who's a soul blues guy. I didn't realize I like soul blues. So uh, you use it for education as well. So, uh, but running a festival on time, uh, taking care of your artists. The the, be- the best pleasure I have at a festival. You know, I introduce every act, uh, you know, at every festival I do. I bring them on the stage. I introduce the act. I, I see nobody. I do not hear a note because when someone's on stage playing, I am now backstage looking for my next act, getting them ready, and I've got 20 other things i got to get done. 
but that's fine. But when I hear the audience just screaming and hollering, and I look up on the stage and see the band members smiling and having mm. fun, and I look out into the audience and see them having fun, that's the biggest reward that you can get because now you know you've done your job. People are enjoying themselves. If they walk away from the festival saying they had a great time, guess what? They're coming back and they're bringing friends the following year. So uh, putting right. a, you know, putting everything together and making it work, uh, you know, having, like John had said, having good food vendors, uh, ha- you know, making it convenient for people to use portable toilets, uh, making it easy to get in and out of the, uh, out of the venue, uh, ha- you know, and, and uh, having parking that people can get there. I mean, all that comes into uh, how a, a, an event becomes from a decent event, a good event, to a very good event, to an excellent event. So each year, I mean, you know, Monday morning, uh, we will sit down with Team Bradenton and we will critique this past year's festival, and we'll be starting, we'll be making notes and making plans for 2018. But we we actually sit down. Usually we did it on Sunday. Uh, we're going to have a, a one-day break this year. We're going to do it on Monday morning. Uh, but you know, everything's fresh in our mind, and we let each person who had a department to run voice what worked for them, voice what they needed help in, and then the other one sitting around the table voice what they saw so and nobody is no egos and everybody gets a chance to speak their piece and saying i think this would work better or i think you know we tried this and this was horrible blah 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 but we all work as a unit and as a team which makes which makes a successful festival so and of course obviously one of the, another one of the telltale signs now as i understand it did this start off being just a one-day thing and now again as i understand it it's extended out to a three-day weekend events so was this originally just a one day uh it was always a friday night and saturday and now we've extended with a sunday uh brunch gotcha i've got so it gives people from out of town a real reason to stay we let them know what other bands are playing the after parties um locally and we also tell them about our Museum, planetarium, our village of the arts, artist community. So they also, you know, people from out of town, they love the blues, but they want to get to know the city that they're in. So we also gotcha. connect them with all that information. Of course. And I assume, just like most festivals, obviously, to those that are listening into my show, of course, I have people in 20 different states and, and some of which in Florida. But outside of that, if they want to come and travel there, I assume you've partnered up with the local hotels and other places where um, they can be directed or it's too late now, meaning that you guys are sold or, or maybe you don't even know that. But meaning if somebody listens to this today and they're like, you know what, I'm going to go visit there next week, um, are they still able to get close enough to be able to stay all weekend, et cetera? Is that still an option? Yes. If, uh, if out-of-town folks go to BradentonBluesFestival.org, uh, we still right. have some tickets available online. There's a few okay. um, hotels that are listed uh, they may already be booked. However, there's a link to the convention and visitor site that shows other hotels. So I know there's nice. hotels okay. locally within, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Wonderful. Now, one of the things I always do on my show is obviously we come on the show for a reason, which is, of course, to talk about events and other things. But you are a person besides being an executive director. So I, w- I want to address that a little bit, obviously. Um, first of all, the fact that you were originally from New York City is very impressive to me because that's where I'm ending my life as a New York City, actually. Oh, so yeah. I'm curious, being a New Yorker, and now you're a Florida girl, um, was that a nice transition for you? Are you much happier to be there? I know the weather's obviously better, but New York is full of rich of arts and, and theater and such, so that mm-hmm. must have been hugely mm-hmm. beneficial going from there to going mm-hmm. where you are now. Mm-hmm. Well, I I got to Florida 
via Providence, Rhode Island, where I went to Rhode Island School of Design. Uh-huh. And yeah. after that, I um, met my husband. My Jeff and I have been married 30 years. And so yep. we've lived down here about 29 years. I was at uh, Ringling College of Art as the vice president, so came down for that position. And first of all, if I never see snow again, that's fine. <laughs> and I don't so, blame you. you know, and, and Paul loves to come down here because he gets to wear his shorts in the winter. So we love cool. living in Bradenton. It's such a close-knit community, very artistic and creative. It's right between Sarasota and St. Pete. So there's a lot going for it, and I don't think I'd want to live in New York right now. We, we live right downtown ah. in a great little house, and so okay. I live, love living down here. Yeah. Nice. And I also have noticed about you a few different things. First of all, folks, I can tell you, you're an extremely healthy. I noticed the amount of health food that you ingest or that you post, et cetera. And I thought to myself, this woman not only eats well and looks terrific for her age, she drinks wine. And I have to admit that that's a huge bonus on the top of my list, of course. But I also found an article about yourself. Um, Now, you had a 400-year-old oak tree in the back of one of your homes. Is that not right? That just blew me away. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have oh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. 400 yes. years old. How does one come across that, I wonder? My gosh. Well, it's why we bought that piece of property. And uh, gotcha. I know that you're doing some great research. So, uh, Cindy, sometime if you get a chance, <laughs> you may want to go back to my Facebook and see my 97-year-old dad singing a little obscene German song at our Thanksgiving uh, dinner last night. Oh, my God. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I have to do that. That is so awesome. Yeah. That is so, so cool. You know, and I, and I think what's neat about um, just all the different things that folks, if you've never been to her wall or have never taken a look at some of this stuff, what is so neat is that she is so nice about promoting not just herself but other events, other places, other things in the artistic community, which I think is so neat. And you can see uh-huh. that she's living a life that's, that's very exciting and, and rich, artistically rich, uh-huh. that I want to say. And I don't want to forget to mention this because I'm going to guess that you are not a musical person, meaning you don't play an instrument, you don't sing, am I mistaken, or or do you? Are you talking to I me? I should ask you before. Yeah, I'm talking oh, to you before oh, I continue, well, and then I, I'm going to go over to Paul. No, I'm the I'm the visual arts girl. I have an arts degree. I, I I've learned That's a lot from Paul and my husband and the Blues Society about blues music, and and I, I love it to death. But seriously, my background and training is in the visual arts and graphic design, and I play no instrument. You gotcha. I can't yeah, even say. what I thought. Now listen to this book. She has gone to Leslie University. She's been a gone to the Harvard Graduate School of Education, the Rhode Island mm-hmm. School of Design, which you mentioned, along with Weatherhead <clears throat> School of Management. So you already know that she is hugely intelligent. She was a graphic designer in the seventies. She worked for the Polaroid Corporation, obviously of course the School of Design and then the Ringling College of Art and Design. And, of course, obviously, she also has her own business, uh, which is Isham and Associates. So here's what I want to ask you. I'm very curious. For a woman who is coming from that background um, and minus the, the musical-type talent, etc., how did you develop such a love and passion for music that you seem to carry? I mean, it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic that a woman in sports sees, so to speak, but this is direct to music, etc., How'd you get involved, or what made you want to work with Real Life Well, I was I was recruited. It was a national search, so I was hired to be the founding director. And I think really okay. the bottom line of what we do is we bring people together. And what we found, whether it's music or art or dance, when people can connect with themselves and others, and they don't even have to be think they're an artist, 
Um, so, you know, I've, I've grown to love the blues, and I know a lot about the visual arts and design, and it's all the bottom line for us is it, it, it's really building the social capital of a community, um, people right. making friends, and, and just having a great time, which I think is so much needed today. <laughs> oh, my God, that's right. Yes. Yes. Oh, I can't even begin to, to go elaborate about that one. Now, Paul, I'm going to switch over to you because I have a couple questions. Obviously, your background is just a wee bit different, obviously, of course, because I, I looked at these accolades and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, when, when I was sent the list of things that you're proud of, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he could go on for days for the amount of things that he has done. But the first thing I want to ask you to talk about is, can you tell my listening audience, you have the most wonderful, I've heard, living room setup of anyone as it relates to a musical side of things. So can you... Can you just give us a visual of what your living room looks like? Well, it's, uh, it used to be our son's bedroom, but when he went away to college and that uh, kind of rechanged it around and put a, put a wall in and took a wall out, and uh, I did not have somebody do it for me. But uh, it, it's kind sure. of uh, my music room. Uh, it's uh, different things that were given to me. I have, I, like I said, I don't play, but... Uh, I do have, uh, I think, 11 guitars that were given to me by different artists. Uh, uh, you know, I got, I got a BB King guitar. I got one of you know, little Mills guitars. I got a guitar from Keith Richards and so on and so on. Oh, and, that's uh, so awesome. And so, and then they're in my room, and then I have, uh, you know, a lot of uh, photographs and stuff uh, around around that room. Uh, I also have a lot of things, you know, a bunch of harmonicas that were given to me by, you know, Charlie Mosselite and Carrie Bell and Junior Wells and, you know, so, so I've got a lot of, a lot of it's, it's like its own little museum, uh, and the ceiling is all drum heads, uh, who, artists who have played for me at the club, uh, pretty much at the club, and uh, and I got a, you know, I, I do have a drum, a drum set in the room, and, and you know, when, with all those guitars, I have a lot of artists who come to my home for, when they have an extra day off, uh, you know, I, I like to have them at my house for a home cooked meal and, and give them. So, I mean, you know, these guys, I've been doing this since 78, and, and, you know, yes, there's a business aspect of it, but most of these artists are my friends as well, and I've been to their homes, sure. they've been to my home. So, and when they get in my, my living room and they see, the, you know, all that deal, and I had all of the guitars, so I figured, well, you know what, I might as well put a guitar amp in there, and then I, then I put a bass amp in there and grab the, grab the bass guitar. So we've had some pretty good little jams uh, in my in my living room, and uh, we just uh, a, a couple weeks ago we did a fundraiser for the Kenny Neal family for a, a, for the for the flood victims of Baton Rouge a, a couple of months ago, and uh, I you know and I had pe- people you know Kenny did a concert in my in my living room so uh, for sure. you know a fundraiser for him so it, it's got a I mean I have musicians and other people who come in and look at that room and it, there are p- pictures from uh, on Facebook from time to time of people who've been. In that room that have taken pictures, so you you get to see, uh, uh, you know, so cool. what that room looks like, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a fun room. Uh, I have a lot of fun in there, and it's, it's a lot of history. I mean, uh, it is you know it is uh, you know uh, from the beginning of the Blues Festival, uh, in, you know, in 1990 in uh, 1994, which was the first North Atlantic, uh, you know, and, but the first few years before that it was called the Trades, Trade Winds Blues Bash, which I saw so I started doing festivals and. In 1990, so it's, it's kind of a it's kind of my own museum, I guess. Uh, you know, of, of a, the history of what what's gone on in the blues world and in, in, in the Rockland, Maine area, and you know, and uh, so it's uh, it's it, it's kind of hard to describe. It's one of those rooms you got to kind of be in to enjoy, to really gotcha. enjoy. But people have seen photographs of it, and uh, you know, and there's always a lot of comments on it. Uh, uh, it's something I'm I'm proud of, uh, you know, and it's. Uh, 
Uh, my wife won't let me move into any other part of the house, so you know uh, I, I speak a few things in now and then, but uh, uh, gotcha. but uh, it, it's kind of it's kind of in that one room, but uh, it's uh, like you say, it's a lot of history and uh, a lot of great memories in that room. Gotcha. And of course, I don't want to forget to mention that Paul, you folks know, is uh, chairman of the board for the Blues Foundation of Memphis. He's the owner of Benjamin Productions. Uh, North Atlantic Blues Records, and of course the co-founder of, I want to talk about this a little bit, can you talk to the folks a bit about the North Atlantic Blues Festival, because I know that you're co-founder, so we want to know what that's all about, and what brought you to partnering with them, and of course, what's one of the, obviously we don't want to take away from the Bradenton Festival, but tell me um, something that would draw my audience to coming to that Blues Festival as well. I have a, you know, I, I get asked what, why come to Rock Remain for a Blues Festival, I, I say it's Maine, it's July, it's on the ocean, it's great blues, and we serve lobster. Oh, love it. That's awesome. Oh, my that, that's gosh. That's a quick answer oh, to that. Now, usually that satisfies <laughs> most people. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, hey, that works for me, as a matter of fact. Um, Benjamin Productions, now, is that just the blanket by which you do all the promotion, or I, I wasn't clear how many entities are underneath that? Uh, Benjamin Productions, because I do all uh, the festivals, so it all comes under my umbrella of Benjamin Productions. Gotcha. Uh, and that, so that that's kind of a, basically covers my uh, all the work I do under under Benjamin Productions. I mean, I, I do each each uh, festival has its own uh, you know North Atlantic, it's its own identity. You know, Gloucester uh, okay. Blues Festival is its own you know LLC, its own identity. Uh, a couple of festivals in Florida are their own identity, and so those festivals, even though, but they all come under uh, my corporate name is under Benjamin Productions. Gotcha. Okay. And now, as I understand it, um, Realize Bradenton came to you in terms of um, partnering, or how did that whole mm-hmm. marriage come about, if you will? I called Paul, and he answered the phone. A mutual, <laughs> mutual friend of ours, uh, you know, Jack, uh, Jack uh-huh. Sullivan, when he decided to move Blues Music Magazine to Bradenton, when he and Johnette was talking about having a festival where in uh, – uh, so Jack got uh, Johnette in contact with me, and I think we might have even been on a conference call, but it was six years ago, and they, uh, so they invited me to come down to Bradenton, and I, uh, I met with Johnette and other groups of people throughout the day and, and got to nice. walk the river walk and, uh, and kind of pick out where the festival, in my opinion, should be. And, and then, we, you know, we decided, uh, they decided to do it and, and hire me to... Uh, uh, book their festival and then uh, you know and, and get this you know uh, get the sound company and, and get all that stuff in the back line. They take care of all the groundwork that takes things to take place in Brighton right. because obviously I live in Maine, so she she takes care of her sponsors and all that stuff and their volunteers. My main job was to hire the entertainment, be there for the festival, uh, be right. their stage manager once the festival's going. Uh, Johnette and I uh, team team together and do MCing for the festival. And so they have, you know, if anybody that's out there listening puts on events, they know, you know, it takes it takes a small army. And so everybody oh, yeah. has their jobs. And so once the festival starts, theoretically, Johnette can take a breath because now during the festival she can cater to who she has to cater to because she's got her team right. doing their jobs and that. And they know on my end of it that the festival, the music portion is going to run, it's going to be on time, and we're going to get people on and off the stage and, and so, uh, you know, we have a great, great work relationship. And, uh, you know, if, uh, and, and none of the team is afraid to pitch in to somebody else. If somebody needs something, 
uh, any one of us will pitch in and say, hey, what do you need to do? And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, because I've done this, I've, I've made every mistake known to man since I started, when I started North Atlantic Festival, you know, back in 94. But, but the first, from 90 to 93, I did it in the parking lot of a hotel. It was called the Tradewinds Blues Bash, is where I had my first club and started doing blues. And then, so I, I've made every mistake known to man. So, you know, after 25, over 25 years of doing festivals, I can help new festivals because I know what mistakes not to make. And, and, you know, and I'm learning every year. Every, every, you know, do I, if I, do I think I know it all? Absolutely not. No one will ever know anything, you know, you know, what they do. No one's going to ever know it all. If you do, it's time to retire and get out of it because you can always learn. Amen. And so every year I learn something at festivals. Uh, every festival I do, I look at something and say, oh, this works well, I can do this in Bradenton, but no, I, I can't do this in Massachusetts, or I can't do this in Rockland, or no, I can't or shouldn't do this in Bradenton. So you're always learning. And so, uh, you know, that whole aspect of, of keeping it fresh and, and, and being, being willing to listen to other people and, and, and share ideas is, uh, you know, and, and that's one of the bright spots in the blues world is that, the sharing ideas. I talk with other festival promoters all the time, and uh, you know we'll, we'll share ideas of what act really worked well, what act didn't work well, what act is a great club act. They, they're just phenomenal in the club, but they die on the festival stage. Uh, uh, you know, gotcha. and, you know, and that happens. So I mean, so blues, blues promoters and festival promoters and club owners, uh, we're willing to talk and share, and that to me makes us unique from other, you know, instead of thinking it's competition, uh, it's not competition. You know, we're all working. There, there are a number of festivals in Florida throughout the year, and Bradenton happens to be the last one of the year, but all the other festivals, I mean, we talk to each other, all the festival promoters in, in the Florida area, we share ideas, we talk about artists, we, you know, and, and we're not afraid to promote other festivals. I mean, uh, we did Camping with the Blues in October, which is a festival that Greg and I put on. And, uh, but we talked about the, the Suncoast Blues Festival, which is in January, but we also talked about the Bradenton Festival. We also talked about other festivals in Florida. So, uh, you know, it, that's, I think that makes us unique from other promoters because we're willing to share ideas and work together where other ones are afraid you're going to steal the business. And you know, what are the things? Uh, uh, blues yeah. people just love going to as many events as they can. And, you know, Paul, the other thing I want to mention, uh, talking with Camping with the Blues, uh, to the point about what brings people back to a festival, you have to have amazing sound and a great stage. And our very good friend, uh, Greg, at Mojo Productions, uh, provides the best stages all around the United States, as well as the sound system. He lives actually right here in Bradenton, and he is such a great partner, and, and he actually hosts the uh, free blues concert uh, that we're doing, uh, the Blues Appetizer. and uh, Yeah. And, you know, Paul, the other thing that we should speak a little bit about, you can speak better than I can, are how important blues societies are to local blues scenes because you work with so many, and we've got a great blues society here with Mark Thompson. Yeah, and Mark just recently got elected to the board of directors of the Blues Foundation, so, you know, that's why the Blues Foundation was in Bradenton for our board meeting in the mm-hmm. fall. and. Uh, uh, you know, blue societies are important, and, and uh, you know, and, and blue societies uh, help, uh, you know, keep blues alive. If you get a healthy blue society, blue societies always bring in blues acts, 
and you know and have blues uh, promotions and stuff. So uh, blues mm-hmm. societies are very very important to the success of a lot of festivals. And you know, and Johnette's very fortunate. She's got a great blues society in the Bradenton area, so they mm-hmm. support uh, what they do and they support the you know that whole area, Bradenton, Sarasota. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a it's a very strong hold in the blues world. Uh, because it's of the strong societies, and and they, and they co-promote with other societies throughout Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me, throughout Florida. So uh, they they get it. They work together, and working together is so important to make anything succeed. Uh, you know, the more Correct. people you get talking about it, the better chance it has to succeed. I mean, if you keep it hidden and keep it to yourself, that's what happens to it. It stays with you and to yourself, and you can have the best party in the world, but if no one else knows about it, uh, it's not going to last. And oh, no, you know, to that agree. point, to that point, we give blue societies a special code for each society so that their members can get five dollars off the thirty dollar ticket, and that's just oh, a way nice. to give back to the societies um, that are you know some of them bring fifty sixty people they get they get buses we have a few coming in, um, and so having that discount is a way to say thank you to them. Oh, that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And, folks, in case you might not know a whole lot about real, just to, as a testament to Real Life Bradenton, 2013, they were Outstanding Public Interest Group. 2014, named the Will Ambassador at Public and Societal Benefit Nonprofit. 2015, Night City Challenge Award. And then, of course, this, this actual year in 2016, Nonprofit Organization. All very, very nice accolades, all very warranted, I must add. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, obviously, the, one of the main reasons that brings us here. Now, I want to let everybody know the Bradenton Blues Festival, in case, which we've been talking about this last hour, it goes from December 2nd to December 4th. It's actually located at the River West Pavilion, which is 452 3rd Avenue West. Um, as you had mentioned, the adult tickets are $30, student rate being $20, and child rate being $10. Now, correct me if I'm mistaken, is that an online rate, or can they come in person and the rates are the same? I just want to clarify that. No, the the day of the festival rate is $45, so we really encourage people to buy in advance. Okay. We generally sell out. So there's still tickets available at uh, okay. the uh, Blues Festival.org. Yeah. Gotcha. I gotcha. And, of course, we want to mention again, of course, not only outside of the food vendors, they've got the specialty craft beers, obviously blues musicians all day on Saturday. Also Friday from 6 to 9 is the Blues Appetizer Contest. And then, of course, on Sunday they have the Gospel Blues Brunch. What time does the brunch start on Sunday? Well, it starts at 10, but we're sold out. Okay. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Then we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's going to be so. fabulous. Doug Deming and the Jewel Tones. So if you were one of the 150 lucky people that got a ticket, it's going to be wonderful. Southern oh Brunch, gosh, Paul and Jean will be there. And so uh, my husband, Jeff, so it's going to be great. Oh, my gosh, how awesome is this? Now, I'm going to go through a rundown of these, uh, so forgive me. Give me just a moment to list all this off to the listening audience because I think it's important to hear of every single place that all of you can be found at. For those that were listening into the Blues Festival, it's called Bradenton Blues Festival. They have a Facebook page with that same name, and the actual website itself is BradentonBluesFestival.org. Uh, on the flip side for the nonprofit, which is Realize Bradenton, um, bunch of different places. The website is realizebradenton.com. They have a Facebook page, which is Realize Bradenton. They are on YouTube and Pinterest. Their Twitter handle is at Realize Bradenton, and the Instagram being Realize Bradenton. And just so you know, that's spelled B-R-A-D-E-N-T-O-N. Now, as for you, young lady, you are both on Facebook as well as 
your LinkedIn profile, which is originally how I found you. And as far as Paul Benjamin, of course, uh, I have the North Atlantic Blues Festival dot com. You're also on Facebook and YouTube. Have I missed any place where folks can find you guys? Well, you can find us in Bradenton this Thursday yes. setting up the festival. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, or you could just go to Florida because I know that they're there both located go. there, obviously, and and both find them, obviously. Um, I have to tell you folks that I am very excited that it looks like, with any luck at all, I'm going to get an opportunity to come to Florida to do a live event. It's in a different part of Florida, but it's close enough to where I think both Kim and I could probably come down there and visit. I would love to be able to just Oh, let us know. That would be great. I, I would. I would like to see what you do. I'm a huge proponent for nonprofits, so I kind of want to see the ins and outs of what goes on down there. I hear Florida's lovely. I don't get down there very much in all of my travels. Um, so I want to make it a point to definitely get down and to see you guys, since I'm not going to be there for the, for the live festival, of course. On the flip side of the fence, Mr. Benjamin, when we are off the air, I would love it if we would chat sometime because, ironically, I am organizing my very first independent film festival this coming year for 2017 um and so it would be lovely to know people that know people so that we can work together i'm a huge proponent for live music as well and so i'm very big on introducing talent to the world um and film festivals are a great genre for that so i would love to get an opportunity to speak with you about that as far as that goes and i'm sorry i have to apologize to both of you that i took away your day after thanksgiving to come on my show i mean i love promoting you so badly i'm like oh gosh they just have a holiday and all that good stuff um just out of curiosity uh, do you think people should wait beyond today to be getting their tickets? I mean, are you foreseeing an actual sellout of everything? Should we be concerned, do you think, in terms yeah, of – Yeah, probably um, by Thursday, Thursday night we'll, okay. we'll, we'll uh, be close to a sellout. So, And, you know, we have oh, a lot of drive-in market. We have people from Atlanta all sure. over. We have 200 zip codes in Florida. So people drive in for this festival and have a great time. Oh, that's awesome. That and when will you be down in, in Florida? Well, a lot of it depends. It, actually, you might be familiar. Are you familiar with a brewery that is located there? It's, it's in the Wynwood Arts District. Does that ring a bell? I'm sorry. Say that again. The- That's okay. Are you familiar with the Wynwood Arts District? Oh, in Miami? Yes. Now, yeah. how far away yeah. is that from you? Uh, probably about three and a half hours. It's on the other coast. Oh, that's not too bad, that. Well, it's, yeah. that's not the end of the world, per se, because I'm going to have a vehicle. I'm going down there to do an event at one of the breweries. I did an article for them, and so I'm doing a book signing slash live interview. I did a book, and one of the housewives did a book. So we're going to kind of merge heads together. We're going to do a live signing there. And then I thought, right. well, I'll get together with Kim, and I'm like, well, let's go wander around and all that good stuff. Because oftentimes when people come on my show, I never get to meet them in person. So when I know I'm going to oh. another state, I'm like, well, let's make it a point to go meet and whatever have you and all that good stuff so it'll be a lovely opportunity to kind of see what you have to offer and, and to kind of see how things turn out with the festival as far as that goes and yeah. Paul unfortunately I don't I don't get to Maine ever I don't even think I know where Maine is <laughs> unfortunately oh. but I try uh, to get around I'm, it in, and, I'm in Florida quite a bit because I do three festivals down there. I'm down okay. there in the month of January Wonderful. as well so I mean different I'm in Florida at different times so you know maybe oh, we're, cool. we're down there at the same time and uh, we could hook up so exactly stuff. Definitely, and I'm. And you're and welcome to call me anytime on the, the other project oh, you're working on. I'd be happy to talk. I appreciate to you that. Anytime. That would be lovely. Absolutely. Well, great. Certainly. Well, I'm crossing my fingers and wishing you tons of success. I'm so excited for you. I think that you've done a tremendous job. In case no one has told either one of you, thank you so much for your contributions to the artistic world, for your contributions as it relates to helping youth coming up and having an appreciation for music and all things art, you should be patted on the back and commended for having such a love for what you do. And I know, even though I haven't met you, I appreciate all of your efforts. I'm certain this year will be a success. I'm very excited. Crossing my fingers for both of you. 
certainly. I'll try to send as much business as I can your way. And certainly know that my platform is open to you. Anytime you want to come back from one of your events, one of your artists, please feel free to keep me in the loop as far as that goes. And, and I'll be in touch, of course, with both of you once I get closer to the date of coming in town. All righty. We appreciate what you do to help people and everything you do a lot. Thank, so, I mean, thank you so much. Thank you. Out there. And, Paul, I'll thank see you in a few days, buddy. Yes, in a few days. I'm Sounds in a, wonderful. In a couple of minutes, I've, I've got to make my way down back to the public landing in Rockland, and we have the uh, actual uh, Christmas tree lighting thing tonight with the lot, world's largest oh, nice. lot, trap tree, and uh, so i got to be down there. Oh, that's there, uh, cool. Uh, so we built it uh, last week, and uh, we're lighting it tonight with Santa's arrival, so when uh, – so that's why I asked to be on the air earlier, so I, you know, instead of being Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. And this worked out nicely because I did Alana first, and now I've done you guys, and now everybody can go off and enjoy their weekend, and I can decorate my house because now it's finally quiet. Okay. Everybody's gone. Interviews are done. I'm like, I'm all set. Good luck to you guys. I will be talking Thank to you. you Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good evening. Thank you. Right, Bye-bye. Take, Take care. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, folks, was this awesome or what? Oh, my gosh. Let me just go through and remind everybody again one more time. Paul Benjamin, it's NorthAtlanticBluesFestival.com. Obviously, of course, Realize Bradenton, which is, of course, the nonprofit. They can be found at RealizeBradenton.com, the Facebook page, Realize Bradenton, on YouTube, Pinterest. Their Twitter is at Realize Bradenton, and the Instagram, again, Realize Bradenton. For the Blues Festival itself, their website is BradentonBluesFestival.org. Facebook, Bradenton Blues Festival. One more time for Alana, which is, of course, one of the featured artists this coming weekend for the festival, which again runs from December 2nd to the 4th. Alana Cats Cats. The website is alanacats.com. Facebook, Alana Cats Cats. She's on Goodreads, YouTube, Google Plus, Amazon, iTunes, CD Baby, and Twitter at Cats, at Cats Cats. Do not want to forget one more time to say a special thank you to Kim with the Eclipse Group is the name of her promotion company. She does PR for there. Kim is her name. I am so, so excited, Kim, that I have hosted your very first three clients. I hope that I did justice for them, and I hope I did a good job for you. Thank you so much for bringing all of your talent onto my show. I'm very excited that we have a new relationship working together, and I think you're just a doll, but I think you already know that. I want to say thanks so much to the listening audience because they're cutting me off in 90 seconds. Thank you so much to my listening audience for actually taking the time on a holiday weekend to listen in to me for an extensive interview. I am now officially off, back on air on the 29th, 1 o'clock Central Standard Time. That would be musician Danny Sylvester, and that's Sylvester, S-Y-L-V-E-S-T-R-E, 1 o'clock Central Time on Tuesday. You guys enjoy your wonderful weekend off, and I look forward to talking to you next week.